of personal testimony, Russell Brand allegations, and Northwest Las Vegas teenagers openly brag about mowing down a retired police officer. This ain't your mama's podcast, the Chico DeManuel Show. Let's get it. scrolling Facebook this morning and I found a rather interesting story that I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, it's titled Escaped Prisoner Caught Leading a Double Life 40 Years Later. So before I get into reading this, I just wanted to say that I'm firing up right now and you should too. So give me a moment to tend to my marijuana. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. One second here, fix my blunt. It's coming apart all of a sudden, and that's not conducive to the getting high experience. We'll get back. Okay. So this is courtesy of Show Snob, and it says this article was originally originally published on 12up.com, and it's been republished here with permission. So... His wife had no idea. The year was 2015. The month was January, and Cheryl Love was about to make herself tea. This was part of her morning routine. Her husband, Bobby, was still fast asleep in their bedroom when she heard a knock at the door. I opened it slowly and saw the police standing there, Love said in an interview with Humans of New York. At first, I wasn't worried. Their next-door neighbor was known to be a crazy lady, and police officers often came and checked in on her. Cheryl assumed that the police were simply knocking on the wrong door. But the moment I opened the door, she said, 12 officers came barging past me. She had no way of knowing at the time, but Cheryl's life was about to turn upside down. They went straight back to the bedroom and walked up to Bobby, Cheryl said as she recalled vivid memories of those distinctive FBI letters glaring out from the back of their jackets. Cheryl overheard the officers interrogating her husband. What's your name? Bobby Love, her husband answered. No, what's your real name? Love's husband whispered in such a soft voice she couldn't catch his answer. You've had a long run, the officers responded. 
The next thing Cheryl knew, Bobby was in handcuffs and being rushed out the door. Cheryl begged to know what was wrong. This goes way back, Cheryl, back before I met you. He called over his shoulder as he was hustled out of their home. Walter Miller's story. Walter Miller, AKA Bobby Love, grew up in the 60s in North Carolina. He described his childhood as pretty normal, but he grew up poor and his mother struggled to make ends meet. With eight children to care for, she barely had enough to support all of them. It wasn't surprising that Walter began feeling neglected. His run-ins with the law started when he attended a Sam Cooke concert. The crowd was really moving because it was dance music, and Sam Cooke didn't like that. He kept telling people to sit down, and after only two songs, he walked off the stage. Walter said he yelled profanity at the stage and was subsequently arrested for misconduct. Things went downhill pretty quickly after that, he said. The incident at the Sam Cooke concert happened in 1964, and Walter soon developed his own record of misbehavior. Things worsened rapidly for him. I got into all sorts of trouble, Walter admitted. I lifted purses from unlocked cars. I was stealing government checks out of mailboxes. I got bolder and bolder. When he was caught stealing from the band room at his school, the young delinquent had to face the consequences of his petty crimes. He was sent to a nearby juvenile detention facility. I hated everything about that place. One moment, he was enjoying his youthful freedom. The next, he was living a life of strict code and conduct. He complained about everything in that place, but it was the violence that really got to him. Other young delinquents in the place were far more violent than he was. I still have scars from all the times I got beat up, Walter said years after he had left the center. He used to hear the train whirl past every night as he fell asleep, and with its comforting noise came dreams of leaving the center. Walter wanted to get out. He just needed to think of a solid plan. The nightly sound of the train was a haunting reminder to Walter of the things he was missing out on. I always wanted to know where that train was going, he said. His time at the juvenile center was testing his patience, so he watched for a chance to escape. Walter's golden opportunity came one night when the night guard stationed by the exit doors turned his back and checked the time. Walter saw his chance and made a run for it. I ran out the back door toward the sound of that whistle, and that was the first place I ever escaped from, he said. It wouldn't be the last. Walter ran towards the tracks and did something he'd been dreaming of for months. He wanted to see where the train led. He followed it out of North Carolina and bore down on Washington, D.C. For the first time in months, he felt like things were finally looking up. As luck would have it, Walter had a brother living in D.C. He stayed with him and enrolled at a local high school. He began attending classes and even played baseball with friends. Unfortunately, Walter started hanging out with the wrong group of kids. His life was getting set to change once again. This group of new friends got into more serious crimes than those Walter had been previously involved in. They had been robbing banks and so far had never been caught. Their trick was to drive down to North Carolina to do the deed because the security there was more relaxed. Walter and his friends got away with many heists. After every score, we'd hang out on the strip at 14th and T 
and act like big timers. We felt like gangsters. In a moment of honest reflection, Walter admitted, I have nobody to blame but myself. I just enjoyed the feeling of having money. He soon would see that he wasn't so lucky after all. Walter and his friends conducted several successful bank robberies. However, in August 1971, they were finally caught. Their operation backfired on them when they decided to rob a bank that had a silent alarm system. The bank teller was able to use this system to alert the police without Walter or his friends noticing. Upon leaving the bank, Walter discovered the police were waiting. Ah, get out of my way. Walter discovered the police were waiting for him in the parking lot. I tried to get away, ducking and weaving, running through cars. However, this behavior only led to him being shot and caught. Still, this indomitable young man was going to find a way to flout the system once again. Aside from his last failed robbery, Walter was found guilty of one other. His sentence? 25 to 30 years in prison. As if things couldn't get any worse, Walter learned that his mother had died. This was a devastating blow to him, and he vowed to turn his life around. Walter made several appeals, but none were successful. By this time, he'd already gotten used to spending his time behind bars. Still, he wanted a better life for himself, so he hatched a plan to be transferred from a maximum security prison to a minimum security facility. Transferring was his hope. Walter wanted to make positive changes in his life. I became the perfect inmate. I never had a mark on my record. His good behavior earned him the privilege of being transferred to a minimum security facility. This new locale was a fresh start for Walter. It felt like, quote, camp compared to his previous facility. Though there were still towering walls and fences and guards on duty, inmates had more freedom to do more pleasurable things. They were afforded calls to family and loved ones and were even allowed to walk outside. Walter had the chance to host his own radio show. At that time, he had no plans of escaping, but things were about to change. Things felt relaxed for Walter for the first time in years. He was thoroughly enjoying his time as a radio show host, and his time as the minimum security system was the best he had felt thus far. But things took a turn for the worse when a fellow inmate shouted profanities at the prison captain. The captain assumed it was Walter, and things were never the same after that. The captain kept on calling Walter out, writing, regularly writing infractions. The negative reports kept piling up until I was one mark away from being sent back up the hill, he said. He didn't want to leave, and he knew his only hope was to escape. A new opportunity for Walter. Because of the pile of negative reports against him, Walter was given one of the toughest and worst jobs in the prison. He was assigned to clean roads with a few fellow inmates. He had to wake up much earlier than the rest of the prison population, ride a bus to rally, and pick up trash along the road. It was awful, he recalled. People would be throwing hamburgers and milkshakes at you, and it was almost winter, so it was starting to get cold. Despite these dire conditions, Walter saw this as an opportunity to plan his next escape. That's when I started planning and plotting. To fund his grand scheme, Walter began saving up his money. He also started to take note of small details. He noticed that the guard stationed at the door on Tuesdays was lazier than the rest. He didn't give any of the inmates a pat down, letting them leave the facility and head to the bus with no idea as to whether they were carrying anything they shouldn't have. 
Walter also noticed that on their way out, they would always stop at a certain intersection that always had a wood that had a wooded area beside it. The crafty young man spent months collecting information to ensure his plan would be a success. Then, one Monday night, while he was watching TV, Walter made his final decision. That was going to be my last night in prison. The following day, a Tuesday, the lazy guard was stationed at the door. Walter was prepared for his big escape. He had cleaned out his locker and had the civilian clothes he was allowed to wear for his radio show underneath his prison suit. Everything was set. Walter made sure to sit at the very back of the bus where the emergency exit was. As we slowed down for a stop, I swung open the back door and I was gone. He stripped his prison clothing right away and ran, stripped his prison clothing right away and ran deep into the woods. The sounds of police sirens faded into the distance as he ran. I could hear the alarm blaring behind me, but I didn't look back. When he felt safe enough to let his guard down, he began to inquire where the nearest Greyhound station was. Keep going, was the reply. A kind stranger was nice enough to lend Walter some money to buy a one-way ticket to New York City. As he settled into his seat, the woman beside him turned to strike up a conversation. She asked me my name. I thought for a moment and said, Bobby Love. And that was the death of Walter Miller. This was it. Walter was about to start a brand new life. Walter arrived in New York City in November of 1977. He was now known as Bobby Love, and he couldn't wait to start his new life. What little money he had left, he spent on a motel. Pretty soon, though, his money ran out. With that, Bobby was homeless and living on the streets. Even then, he was determined to make this new chapter of his life a success. Bobby was lucky to get a new social security number and other important documents like a driver's license. He then began hunting for work. He stayed at $8 a night motels to keep expenses at a minimum. Little did he know, something was brewing that would change his life forever. Oh no, hang on a second. All right. Bobby was able to find a stable job at the cafeteria of a Baptist medical center in Brooklyn. There, he met a woman named Cheryl, who would eventually become his wife. Their first date consisted of a movie and a concert. Purple Rain from Prince and Gladys Knight in the Pips, respectively. Cheryl stood out to Bobby the moment he met her. Cheryl was innocent, the opposite of me, and that's why I was so attracted to her, he said. Cheryl was soft, almost in a naive way. Bobby was tempted to build a life with her, even though he knew it would be a risky move. He was well aware that at any given moment, the police could arrive and his new life had come crashing down. The two wed on March 30th, 1985. Bobby was 34 years old, while Cheryl was 21. They welcomed their first child, a daughter named Jasmine. Soon thereafter, a couple of years later, another daughter, Jessica, came along. Finally, 11 years later, twins Justin and Jordan were born. Bobby worked two jobs to keep the family afloat, even going as far as cutting his sleep to just two hours a night. He was active in church, volunteered, and participated in community activities. Bobby's life couldn't have been happier, yet the weight of the past was pressing down on him. Bobby was tempted to share his past with his wife, but he felt that he couldn't risk it. 
Cheryl was a religious woman who would most likely try to convince him to turn himself in. He couldn't let his new life go, but he was still communicating with some relatives back home in North Carolina. Bobby asked his sister for a favor, to only tell his wife his secret when he died. She, however, wanted him to come clean already. That part of my life was buried back in North Carolina, and it wasn't coming back. If only he knew what was coming. There was a piece missing, Cheryl said. Something was different. Bobby would avoid having his photograph taken, kept mostly to himself, and was very cautious of strangers. Sometimes when a random stranger would come up to him and ask for directions, he seemed spooked. Bobby would put his guard up whenever he had arguments with Cheryl. I remember during Christmas of 2014, I was on my knees in church saying, Lord, please, I can't do this anymore, Cheryl said. That was a few weeks before everything went down. After several years, Bobby felt more comfortable being himself and let his guard down. He went to North Carolina to attend his sibling's funeral, and this would prove to be a crucial moment in his life. This was the moment Bobby believes that someone recognized him and tipped off the police. Soon after that event, the FBI came knocking on his door, handcuffs ready. My world came crashing down, Cheryl said. More than anything, she felt hurt. Bobby had deceived me for all those years. There was no truth in our house. In another interview, Cheryl said that the moment was like I was in a movie, a lifetime movie. In spite of it all, she knew she didn't want to sit back and do nothing for her husband. Bobby was finally experiencing the consequence of his actions. He was held at Rikers Island, an infamous prison in New York, awaiting extradition to North Carolina. Once there, he would serve the remaining 10 years of his original sentence, plus a few extra years for his escape. Cheryl visited him and saw the suffering her husband was enduring. When I first visited him in prison, he broke down crying, she remembered. His head was in his hands and he told me, I know you're going to leave me. I told him, no, Bobby Love, I married you for better or for worse. And now this is the worst. The loyal woman was determined to do something for her husband. Cheryl did everything she could to get her husband out of prison. She composed letters of appeal to the governor and even sent one to President Obama himself. Their children and everyone who knew the family wrote testimonials about Bobby's life. I didn't know a thing about Walter Miller, she said, but I told them all about Bobby Love. After all of this hard work, Cheryl brought a massive number of testimonials to Bobby's parole board so his case could be appealed and hopefully overturned. It seemed like an impossible request, but after a year behind bars, the parole board agreed to let Bobby go. He was to continue his new life, but things wouldn't be quite the same. Cheryl couldn't stay angry at Bobby for long, and she eventually forgave him. Once his secret came out in the open, the burden he was carrying fell away, and their marriage improved greatly. Bobby was more relaxed, and he interacted with people more freely. He was more open to his wife and paid more attention to her. They both felt more connected than ever before. Cheryl finally experienced what marriage was supposed to feel like. There were no secrets between the two of them. The day he was set free, I sat him down and I asked, what is it? Are we the loves or are we the millers? And he said, we love, we love. It's a, it's a great story, man. It's actually got me emotional over here. It's a real good story. 
real positive, uplifting, and I'll leave it at that. I'm not really the type of person that's super religious or that fucking believes in angels and demons and spirits and all that kind of shit. But when I look back at the past three and a half, pretty much let's just say since my grandma died, around that time, it just seems like, I feel like at some point, like for one, I thought, Emotionally, I handled that situation way better than I actually did. In the beginning, I didn't realize, I thought something I felt shortly before my grandma had died was like me getting it off my chest. Because when she died, it didn't seem to hit as hard, but in hindsight, it hit tremendously colossal, like fucking just whatever kind of hyperbole you can conjure up to multiply the impact of that shit by like a Google, nigga. Like, for real. I was really, really fucked up. I did shit. I knew I had no business doing. And I got caught up in that whole LGBTQ narrative shit. Like I got I got sucked into that. And when I look back on it, it feels like a demon stepped into my life. When I was vulnerable, right after I lost my guardian angel, a demon stepped in. And Luke Skywalker, my ass. Like for real, like just like let the let the hate flow through me. Like I don't I don't know what I was. I was just angry and I was confused and I was I I was not prepared mentally for the type of anguish and and depression that was going to result from my grandmother's death. And it really feels to me like the tranny that I was getting some drugs from. What the fuck is that? Oh, it's a funeral. The tranny that I was getting these drugs from was the demon that stepped into my life. That person is no longer with us. The demon that stepped into my life. And I really hate to say bad things about the person because they didn't really do me wrong. They didn't do anything to me that I wasn't willing to have done. But why was I, how did I not, how did I identify with, with, with darkness like that? Like it's crazy. And then somehow I just end up in Vegas, commonly dubbed as Sin City. And it's like, like, I would constantly look around and just be like, how the fuck am I here? Like, how am I here? I've been in Detroit my entire life, basically. How the fuck am, am I really here? This has got to be a simulation. Like, all the cross-dressing, 
Like, I literally, like, walked through hell. Like, I joked about going to hell. Say, oh, yeah, I know I'm going to hell. I got a bed reserved in hell. And it was, it was funny till it was real. That shit was real funny until it was real. Like, I feel like I got dragged through, like, I opened up a time capsule or something. And it was like somebody who already lived my life had like put sent forth warnings. So I would so I would know how to navigate this shit. And then if you extrapolate on that, now religion comes into play. And it's like, oh boy. It's like I don't see how I can recap the, the last four years of my life roughly without without it getting religious or spiritual it certainly feels like some of the events that I experience like the way things play out sometimes like how am I not it's so fortuitous how is it not? Like, I don't really think, based on an honest recap, a sincere recap of, of me and what I do, I don't really think I deserve what I have. I think my situation now is too good for me. With as much shit as I've gotten away with, as much shit as I haven't, man, it's like, it's fucking crazy. And I don't know if I want to just get all religious suddenly. Not even suddenly, but like to to start. I really don't think, I think I can function adequately with a stoic mindset. Like stoicism is kind of what I identify as far as a religion. Just ancient wisdom. It's a way to live my life. And it works really good for me. I don't need all these goddamn emotions and feelings and thought processes. Like, life ain't that complicated. It's as simple as understanding that you got to do some things you don't want to do sometimes. You got to have faith sometimes. And if you're not willing to struggle... Why are you here? Like, this was a deal for everybody. Everybody has to endure some struggle. You know? It's just it's just crazy to me. I don't want to start rambling or getting too far off focus, but, like, I really feel like I let a demon into my life. And... I feel some type of physical trauma. It felt like not, not, not actually saying that I'm traumatized, but cause now I feel like I've come back down to where I'm supposed to be. I don't feel all fucking wound up about shit. I don't feel like I'm chasing happiness all the fucking time. I'm just, I'm just trying to iron out the kinks at this point. Like, I understand the direction I want my life to go because I've seen where it can go if I don't.
If I don't have any knowledge, I'll just be caught up in any way that's willing to, to, to accommodate me. And that's how you end up where I ended up. Doing all these drugs, cross-dressing, like just affiliating with outright degenerates. Another thing that kicked it kicked it into my mind was I ended up hearing this motivational speech and the guy was fucking saying, OQP, only quality people. You are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I looked around at the five people I spent the most time with. For one, I couldn't even achieve five. But the ones I was, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it's no, it's no, it's no... No wonder I'm a fucking brokey. No wonder I'm a goddamn loser. I've got nothing going for myself and neither do the fucking people I hang around. Like we just perpetuating a cycle of bumminess, loserhood, loserdom or whatever you want to call it. That trans agenda shit. It is evil, man. It is it's, it is I almost think it's intrinsically evil. And they got a real good sales pitch. Real good sales pitch. But that shit is a pyramid scheme. All it is is just some sinister, off-base, like that outward display of like sex and just like confusion. Like it, it does something. Like it's it's the beliefs that 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 blossom from that are just they're damaging like it it it, it allows a, a aura of evil to perpetuate and that's not to say all of them are evil like some of you know all of them are not evil but their ideology is like it stems from it, the roots of it are are laden in evil For real. That's why I just can't, I can't. I'm not so much against it. Because I just can't get behind it. Like, I don't. I can't get behind. Well, I guess that means I'm against it. That was double talk. Yeah, I I am against it. I'm not, like, discriminating. But it's just not. It's evil, dog. And when I just look back on how I feel with all my experiences, with the many I've been around, many I've, you know, whatever. It's just not, it's it's always like, how could I be friends with a person like this? How could I, how could we get along? Like, it's just a matter of time before you fuck me over. It's literally just a matter of time. I could pay a math geek to fucking iron out exactly how much time it'll create a mathematical algebraic expression to determine how how long it'll be before you fuck me over. We can solve for X. Like, it's just, it's just not, it, it ain't, I don't recommend it, you know. Every kind of, every aspect 
for the most part, that's associated with this damn trans agenda is toxic. It's going to trickle down and have much more frightening effects to people of all ages. That shit ain't even really necessary, but it's here, you know, and I've been through it and I'm, 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 I'm wiping my hands clean with that shit. It's just not, I don't need no more demons in my life or if they going to come, I need to be able to vanquish them motherfuckers for real. Cause I don't got another one of those in my, in my inventory. Like it's just, that, that's dead. That's dead. I feel dumb enough as it is. It's time to reverse the trend on that shit. That's my testimony. Uh, I don't, I don't like this whole, the allegation culture that we live in. This whole get up where you can just allege somebody did some shit and the allegation alone, no criminal charges, no actual legal action has been taken and you lose everything just because somebody said you did something. Like if that's the game we're playing, I only need like a half hour to write, to make up. I, I'm about to, uh, bro, Elon Musk assaulted me. He sexually assaulted me back before he, you know, was big with SpaceX and everything before, you know, back when he was still working at Apple or whatever the fuck. Cause he was, he was working at Apple. Cause I said, yeah, I alleged he worked at Apple. So he worked at Apple, you know? So I, I'm, I should be entitled to hundreds of billions, right? The fuck out of here, man. Like, Allegations, like, will ruin you nowadays. Like, that shit will completely destroy you. And I think that's what's happening to Russell Brand. And I waited a couple of days to talk about Russell Brand because he, I wanted to look at both sides of it. Because I see how one side paints him, and it's just, in my experience, when I when when the left doesn't like you, this is the kind of shit they did this with Trump. This is the kind of shit they do. They just pour it on. Like I'm, I just typed in Russell Brand in Google, not allegations, not just Russell Brand, English comedian and actor. Comedian Russell Brand accused of sexual assault investigates. The Guardian, BBC investigates claim Russell Brand exposed himself to women in Los Angeles. Russell Brand faces another sexual misconduct allegation as woman claims he, comedian Nish Kumar says presence of sexual predators in industry is open secret. Women says, Russell Brand, women says the star exposed himself to her then laughed about it. Two Russell Brand sponsors suspend work with him after sexual assault allegations. Russell Brand joked about raping and killing a woman in 2013. Okay, we're going to get back to that. Russell Brand's co-presenter apologizes after comedian exposed himself. That's two hours ago, Yahoo News UK, Salon.com. No, that ain't me. I'm at McDonald's. Yep, that's me. I get home, uh, drink. Oh, you got a drink? Yep. Sorry about that. I think I can cut that part out anyway. 
for a year. Fucking allegation. How dare you? Accused, accused of exposing himself and joking about sexual harassment on blah, 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 blah. News about Russell Brand. How this comedian build his YouTube audience on half-truths. Russell Brand learned his tricks in television studios. Russell Brand was the nasty, was the norm in the nasty naughties. Comedian's misogyny emerged from a specific moment. Russell Brand was a loudly ticking time bomb. How the hell wasn't he detonated? Hold on. Yeah, I might just leave that in there because I'm boss like that. If you leave, you leave. But uh, Russell Brand's history of dating celebrities and clashing with their loved ones, like anybody that gets smeared this heavy over allegations, you you just pissed off the wrong person. And I think a big part of that is because he's not left his mouthpiece anymore. I seen a little bit of the footage of him on some talk shows and like some of his attitudes. Like he's one of those, you know, he's just really against Big Pharma a lot. I seen some clip where he, <laughs> he unzipped his pants, pulled him down. So he was like, he had his briefs exposed. The lady had sitting with her legs crossed. He like uncrossed her legs and like sit down on her. And it's like, it's hard for me to, it's real hard for me to look at it like, nobody seemed to have a problem with that then. Like, it's just resurfacing now. It's always a floodgate. Like a floodgate. Your whole history has been dug up. Him over and talking about he joked about raping and killing a woman ten years ago. Tell me something he did two years ago. Like, show me something he said six months ago. Confessions of a Russell Brand superfan. I saw what I saw at Russell Brand's Sober Festival shocked me. <laughs> Russell Brand's celebrity pals who have stayed silent and those who have defended. This is the mirror. I'm trying to let's look at that. We gonna look at a few of these. Hmm. Following allegations, he strongly denies. In the Explosive Channel 4 documentary. What? Brand was accused of rape. Yeah, okay. Some stars close to Brand share passing messages of support for the dab too, following the allegations being made public. With others who have previously worked or spent time with Brand, opting to remain publicly silent on the claims made in the Channel 4 program. Jonathan Ross. Brandon Ross called a furious backlash after calling the late Faulty Towers actor and leaving a voicemail detailing Brand's sexual encounters with his granddaughter. What? 
Andrews. What? Hmm? Oh. Wow. That's crazy. Man, I don't think it's uh, the same article I thought it would be. Let's look at some of the ones. The most recent one. You got television tricks and students. No, not that. Not like that. Faces another sexual misconduct allegation six hours ago. CBS. Yeah, let's check that one out. CBS News, Russell Brand faces another sexual misconduct allegation as a woman claims he exposed himself at BBC Studio. A woman on Thursday accused British comedian, actor, and social influencer Russell Brand of exposing himself to her in 2008, the latest in a series of accusations against him. The woman told CBS News partner network BBC News she was working in the same building where the BBC Los Angeles office was when the incident occurred, and that brand went on to laugh about it moments later on his radio show. The BBC story about the incident says it raises serious questions for the BBC about how that part of the show, which was pre-recorded, was allowed to be broadcast days later. The woman never made a formal complaint, the BBC reported, adding that BBC management wasn't informed about the incident in 2019, but no formal action was taken. Oh, that's it? That's all of it? Oh, wait. Couldn't be all of it. Here we go. The woman told the BBC, I feel ashamed, but more so, I wonder had something been done. Perhaps there would have been fewer women he would have done horrible things to, which we're reading about in the papers now. Oh, my God. These all sound the same to me. Like, it's not, it almost sounds rehearsed. Like I feel like I've just heard that line before. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's true or it's false. It just, to me, it just sounds so scripted. The horrible thing was you're reading about in the papers now. Like, reading in the papers? And then they always bring it out like decades later, like. It's a lot of shit that I don't remember from when I was 21. Things just come back to me randomly. Things I once remembered about it suddenly get forgotten. It's not a science to that shit. But we can all agree that after 10 years, of seeing or interacting or something or doing something and that was the only time you saw it the memory can get a little fuzzy like you're not gonna remember that shit like you remember it a week after you did it things happen in your life you can't sit there and focus on that moment all day every day just so you remember every single detail and, and every nuance like it just that's that's unreasonable so it's like if a man can just get caught up on fucking allegations based on a decade old memory of a he said, she said, 
Come on, man. Um, the BBC says Brand hasn't commented yet on her allegation. In a statement Friday, the network said it is very sorry to hear of these allegations and we will look into them. We are conducting a review to look at allegations of this nature and if the woman who has shared her story is willing to speak to us, we would be very keen to hear from her and anyone else who may have information. A key part of the review is to understand what complaints were made at the time, if there was knowledge of Russell Brand's conduct while he worked on BBC Radio and what was done as a result. Further, the Director General has been very clear that some broadcasts from that period were and are inexcusable and totally unacceptable and would never be aired today. Prior claims against Brand. A joint investigation by British newspapers at time, The Times and Sunday Times and by Britain's Channel 4 television published and aired a joint investigation by British newspapers, The Times and Sunday Times, and by Britain's Channel 4 television, published and aired Saturday, contained claims from four women, excuse me, of rape, sexual assaults, and emotional abuse by Brand. Brand strongly denied those allegations, stemming from incidents said to have taken place between 2016 and 2013. So we're going back, what? 2016 that was like 17 years ago and 2013 that was 10 years ago so like 10 10 10 like come on man and you just now all y'all decided to come out and, and report this at once or one after the other i just don't it's too cookie cutter. Like, I just don't fuck with it. He maintained that all his relationships have always been consensual, even during a period where he admitted being very, very promiscuous. Of course, they was going to use that again. So I already knew that was coming because I saw it when he said it. I'm like, why would you say that, man? Now they just going to say you was promiscuous. So that's the reason why you did this shit. Like, anything you give them, they will take. This is the left. When in, in reality, they're the real fucking sickos. The Times and Sunday Times on Monday said more women had come forward to make claims about his behavior in the early 2000s without giving further details. <laughs> right. In a short statement on Monday, London's Metropolitan Police said on Sunday, September 17th, the Met received a report of sexual assault, which was alleged to have taken place in Soho in central London in 2003, adding that police were in contact with the woman and will be providing her with support. The revelations come amid criticism of how sexual assault cases are handled in the criminal justice system in the UK, as well as how media organizations have handled similar accusations of inappropriate behavior by big name stars. One of the organizations hit hardest by such allegations has been the Metropolitan Police itself, after a serving officer was convicted of the 2021 rape and murder of a young woman in London. Yeah. Um, hang on a second. Brand's former employees of BBC and Channel 4, as well as a production company, have launched their own investigation into the claims. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's official spokesman called the latest allegation very serious and concerning, adding that he'd been clear that there should never be any space for harassment regardless of where it is found. This is all over an allegation now. Let's not forget all this kind of shit is responding like, there should never be any... This is alleged. This is alleged. Brands publisher Bluebird announced that all future publishing with the comedian had been put on hold and YouTube has blocked Brands' ability to make money from his content on the platform. 
Brand became known internationally as the former husband of pop star Katy Perry after forging a career as a stand-up comedian with the near-the-knuckle routines, often about drugs and sex. He presented on television reality shows and played rock star Aldous Snow in the 2008 film Forgetting Sarah Marshall and in his 2010 sequel Get Him to the Greek. Hmm. In recent years, he's become a prominent conspiracy theorist using his YouTube channel to question the COVID-19 pandemic to his nearly 7 million followers. He's argued that the global pandemic was a cover-up by the global elite to enforce radical social change, which I um, don't disagree with. Like, I, it's, it's all very clear to me now. I see how the powers that be operate. And they're not playing a fair game. They're playing for keeps. Which is why you need to be really, really careful. You need to not fuck with a lot of people. You need to stick to yourself. Unless you plan on being in the spotlight all the time. If you plan on being in the spotlight, you need to accept and acknowledge that this is, you know, this could happen to you anytime. Like, you're bought and sold already. You're bought and sold. Keep your wits about you. Man, courtesy of the New York Post, Vegas teen told cops I'll be out in 30 days after he was nabbed in killing a retired police chief in the hit and run report. So if you're not familiar with the origin of this story, oh, there's a raccoon. If you're not familiar with the origin of this story, there were some teens driving around Northwest Las Vegas and they were recording this. And they was just driving around. They did a pit maneuver, which is basically when you line the front tires of your car with the back tires of another car and you spin the car out of control. Like you turn it sideways while you're driving. It's a, it's a, it's a technique that police use to end high speed chases. So they did this to just a regular car that was driving around. And then immediately following spinning one car off the fucking road. These assholes, they see a guy on a bike. They don't know who the fuck he is. And if you've seen the video, which I'm sure shouldn't be too hard to find, they just said, look at him, bro. Let's get him. Go ahead, get him. And they just, this is why I have a big fear of not walking against traffic. Like I would rather be walking on the side of traffic where I can see headlights. I'm very paranoid about this. But this guy is just riding his bike. They fucking accelerate and just ram the shit out of this guy. And it turns out they fucking killed him. And I don't like to talk about murder and death on the podcast. You can go back through all my shit. I try vigorously to avoid topics of murder, homicide, death, all that kind of shit. Because I don't even like watching it on the news. I don't care to hear about who the fuck died. I know somebody died today. I don't need to hear that shit day in and day out. But... I kind of consider myself a part of Vegas. Like I lived there for two years. Like I, you know, I, I kind of care about the Vegas scene. And this is just absolutely, un this is, this is ridiculous. This is wanton disregard for human life. These motherfuckers act like they're playing Grand Theft Auto. Like you can just ram somebody off and just kill them, mow them down in a vehicle and respawn. Hell no. Let's read this article. 
The teen driver who allegedly mowed down a retired police chief in a fatal hit and run told Las Vegas police he would be back on the streets in under a month, according to a report. Jesus Ayala is accused of driving a stolen Hyundai Elantra on August 14th, along with Zamir Keys and deliberately crashing in, into and killing Andreas Andy Probst, who had been riding his bike. A disturbing video show. Fuck yeah, it was disturbing. Ayala, who just turned 18, was arrested hours after Probst was killed and told the police while he was in custody that he wouldn't be locked up for long. You think this juvenile expletive is going to do some expletive? I'll be out in 30 days. I bet you, Ayala told the cops, according to KLAS. It's just a expletive, a hit and run. Slap on the wrist. Now, what the fuck is this kid talking about? Now, see, that's when they're talking about mental illness. Like, mental illness is definitely prevalent. Like, this, anybody who just runs over and kills a fucking retired police officer for no reason. It ain't like your, your, your steering column broke and you lost control of the vehicle or your brakes went out or some shit mysteriously. And it was just happenstance. Like, this was deliberate. You deliberately hit and killed a motherfucker. And you just talk about it was just a slap on the wrist. I'll be out in 30 days. Like, he needs to be dead. I don't give a fuck about this whole teenager's uh, first offense. Fuck that. If that's how you, if that's your attitude towards life and they let you back out, what if I'm the next motherfucker riding a bicycle and you, while you in a stoley? Man, get the fuck out of here. You need to be dead. Flat out. Um, Hang on. Relight my blunt. Police had not yet told Ayala about any hit-and-run charges. And he was only arrested for a warrant and obstructing a peace officer. What the fuck? Wait a minute. So, those were the only charges that... Wait, let me read back on this. He's accused of driving a stolen Elantra, blah, 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 on a disturbing video. So, what the fuck are they talking about? He'd only been arrested on on a warrant and obstructing a peace officer. Like, what? What? I don't know. Ayala's being held at CCDC, Clark County Detention Center, without bail and was hit with 18 charges, including murder. Okay, there we go. I'm going to say, what in the fuck is going on? Ayala is being held at Clark County Detention Center without bail and was hit with 18 charges, including murder, attempted murder, and grand larceny. Good. They got a picture of this little fucking twerp here. He's a little Hispanic kid. Fucking tattoos on his face. A little dumb son of a bitch. Fuck this kid, man. Like, just fuck him. I have no sympathy for him. I hope he gets natural life behind bars. And him and his fucking 16-year-old buddy. I don't give a fuck about this whole sympathy shit. You niggas was riding around in a goddamn stolen vehicle recording this shit like it was a video game. Fuck the sympathy route. Fuck the rehabilitation route. 100% punishment. 100% punishment. Like I said, in Vegas, man, they, they kind of soft on certain shit, man. Like, lawlessness is present. Like, it's outlaws everywhere.
And you need to make an example of these motherfuckers, man. Because niggas think this shit is like commonplace. Like this shit is just a standard right of pat. Like, oh, you just kill some niggas. Like, ain't no big deal. To fight. I'll just kill a nigga. Like, for, like nigga, no. Not and you want to run around the same society where people I care about it. No, no, fuck that. No. Merc. Hang on a second. Ayala and Keys made their first appearances Thursday in Las Vegas Justice Court, where the teens faced charges as adults. In their brief separate appearances, neither teen spoke and was asked to not enter a plea. The two cases are being handled separately due to the timing of when they were arrested. Keys was captured on Tuesday. Both these defendants will be charged with open murder, attempted murder, and many other related charges, Clark County District Attorney Steve Wolfson told reporters outside court. Good. They showed the other kid. He's like a little fucking twerp with dreadlocks. He kind of looks like uh, Tyler the Creator with dreadlocks. And I, I have no sympathy. I hope they fucking rot under the, I throw them under the fucking building. Prosecutors also sought high bail pending trial before Wolfson called the two a danger to the community. The events in these cases are related. I'm very confident these cases will be consolidated. Keys, who was handed three charges, was arrested after he was caught on camera getting into a fight last week, stupid ass youngster. Police linked him with the deadly hit and run because of the white tennis shoes seen in both videos. Now, see, you're not even fucking smart criminals. You're not even smart criminals. You don't even change your outfit. Like when you, and this is not me trying to tell anybody how to commit a crime or how to be, how to be evasive of law enforcement or whatever. But if it were me and I was tasked with committing some crimes, especially in the Las Vegas area where it's fucking trespassing surveillance cameras everywhere. Everything is under surveillance in Las Vegas. Everything. I would find the clothes that I was most willing to get rid of. I would put them. I would put something on and then put those clothes over the top of them. And I would have a little one of those little string backpacks. If I were to commit a crime, for one, I'm hiding my face. Face concealed. I'm going to try to change my voice. I'm not wearing any jewelry whatsoever. No necklaces, no, no earrings, no, none of that. I'm going to commit my crime. Within 60 seconds of the crime being committed, I'm going to pull off all that, put jewelry on, change all my shit, put all those items in the little string backpack, incinerate the string backpack, and get the fuck on casually. Like, I'll just walk past this fire. Why? Because of shit like this. The video allegedly recorded by Keys in August captured the moment the stolen car plowed into the back of probes while the two teens laughed, saying, hit his ass. Like, it's, it's, that, it's that part right there that's just more, that's the most infuriating. Like, how, it was, how his life was just so casually passed around between the both of them. Just, oh, yeah, yeah, hit his ass. Fuck him. Like, fuck his family. Fuck his, isn't this tomorrow? Fuck, just fuck him. Yeah, hit his ass. Look at the white dude. Hit the white, hit the white nigga on the bike, bro. Like, oh, I wish you could see my face. Like, just absolute scum.
just fucking have sun melted debris on a 115 degree day. Like you just, your ass is spoiled toothpaste. You just useless. Probst was tossed over the hood of the vehicle and left to, to die. I saw that clip, man. That shit was absolutely... It's heinous, man. It's, it's actually difficult to watch. Like, I, I'm, I saw it clearly, and I'm resisting the urge to, like, want to see it again for the shock and awe value. Like, that's, that's just disrespectful to that man. And I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and lie, like I don't have genuine curiosity to see it just to to just just the the sicko in me. But I'm not gonna do that. You know? Cause that's this is this is I don't give a fuck what kind of fuck the police narrative. Like if this shit happened to one of your peoples, you'd be distraught. Especially the context surrounding this shit, like his widow, Crystal Propes, and daughter, Taylor Propes, were in court for Thursday's hearing, but left immediately afterward without speaking with reporters. Good for them. Taylor Propes said on Tuesday the attack was a senseless killing caused by the effect social media has on our youth, not because of her father's 35 years in law enforcement. The two teens' mothers have both spoken out about their son's heinous actions, but they don't share the same views. I don't know why he did this, Ayala's, Ayala's mother told KLAS Wednesday. I don't know if God can forgive this. Fuck no. No. I see a little excerpt right here that says, under Nevada law, if they are convicted in adult court of murder committed before they were 18, the most severe sentence they can receive is 20 years to life in state prison, which they goddamn deserve. The 16-year-old was arrested Tuesday on suspicion of murder and other charges after the video of the bicycle crash circulated widely on the internet. And then, like... <coughs> Why the fuck would you record? Why would you create evidence against yourself? Like, you understand? If you on surveillance cameras, like a police has got to come out and investigate that shit. And that all takes time. If like, if you can just limit yourself to, to whatever surveillance footage you're going to be subject to and not the, the, the footage you create, dumbasses. Like, you some stupid motherfuckers committing crimes, man. You're fucking stupid. The both of you twerps. Dumbass, misguided youth. This is why we need dads in the fucking house, man. For real. My son's side of the story will be told. The truth, not the inaccuracies the media will try to portray. Key's mother said in a text to the state. Oh, bullshit, bitch. Your son did it. You fucking delusional bitch. This dude's mom is fucking tripping, man. Ain't no way. You got video evidence of this shit. Video fucking evidence. Come on, now. The death penalty will not be sought in either case because under Nevada law, they face 20 years to life in prison if they are convicted before they turn 18 years old. The two teens are accused of going on a crime spree throughout the day on August 14th as they allegedly hit a 72-year-old uh, cyclist while in a stolen Hyundai sedan, drove away, crashed into a Toyota Corolla, and again drove away before striking Probst. They later apparently stole two more cars before crashing them into each other. The stolen Hyundai Elantra was found abandoned in a ditch with blood on the windshield 10 minutes from where Probst was struck. Wow.
Wow. I mean, it's just, it's, it's pathetic. Like, this, this shit like this is what makes me want to be a father. Like, I understand how important that role is now. It's so fucking important. Like, the 50-50 split on responsibility when it comes to parenting. Like, how women have such a huge responsibility in terms of who they allow to bring to to who they choose to bring children into this world with the men have the 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 other 50 percent where it's like once they're here you need to train them you need to 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 shape them you need to groom them for responsibility and not lgbtq shit Femininity, all this nonsense. We shape this shit. The shit that happens is the shit we allow. And when you got little reckless dweebs like these two puds, who I pray to God get every bit of 20 years to life. I don't I don't think this was no misguided shit. I don't think this was no, oh, they were just hanging with the wrong crowd. Nah, fuck all that noise. I don't want to hear any of that. Ain't no hanging with the wrong crowd, bitch. You are the wrong crowd. Ain't no way in the... I've stolen cars when I was a teenager. But ain't no way you can sit here and convince me to just run niggas over in it. I'm like, what, have you lost your mind? Run a motherfucker over? Are you crazy? I'd drop it, I'd tell that nigga, I'd pull into the gas, ask that nigga to go into the gas station to grab something for me and pull off on that nigga. What the fuck is you saying? Just run over that nigga. Get his ass. Like, I'm appalled by this shit, dog. Like, I'm for real, like, throw it off hearing this shit. I just don't, I don't. I don't see how you cannot look at this and put the pieces together. How could you look at this and not conclude that the problem is just the the, the degradation of the culture in America? It's it it's just lawlessness and just complete freedom. Like everybody should be able to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. And no, they shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. You should not be able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. Because look at these motherfucking brats. This is what they want to do when they want to do it. And it resulted in the death of a retired police officer. Out of all the fucking people they hit, they hit a fucking retired police officer. 35 years. <laughs> Man, we need some help, dog. We need men. We need real fellowship and brotherhood. Like We need to be holding each other accountable. We need to be lifting each other up, not promoting stealing cars and shit, hitting people, spinning other cars out. Like We need to, we need to really crack down 
on how friendly we are. It's like, I learned in Vegas, man. Like, you start, you meet one person and you meet 10 people and you meet 100 people. And these motherfuckers, you invite them and end up seeing the inside of your house. Motherfuckers know you, know where you live, know what you're capable of. Like, nah. Uh-uh. All these friends and shit, I don't need them all. I don't need all that. Because we too far gone. Like, we, we, we too far gone. We in too deep. I know just me alone ain't going to fix anything. But if I can have a positive impact on one life in my life, one life, if something I said resonates and bounces around in somebody's head and is the impetus for them to lead their life in a more positive and fruitful and fulfilling direction, if I could do that for one person, my life was a complete success. Like I will feel like I could die happy. I really could. Yo, that's the show. Thanks for watching. Um, see you guys Tuesday, hopefully. Yeah, I should be seeing you guys Tuesday. Yeah, until next time, I'll holler. Thanks for listening.